Bob, about um, our money for tonight. That's right. Uh, $200, and you boys drank $300 worth of beer. Is that asking for too much? Just a, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, folks, welcome to the first ever episode of Free Range Idiocy. And uh, we hope you are going to enjoy this little tour through, well, foolishness or idiocy. Uh, With me, as always, the conquistador number one to my conquistador number two, uh, we have Tim. Hello. How are you doing this evening, sir? I am well. I am well. And, and thank you for dubbing me Conquistador. I believe that's a resume builder right there. Well, you know, I'm here to help. I not- and, and it is much appreciated. I know you need all the help in that resume department, you know. Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> Very much so. You Very have, much so. Uh, you know, with all the time you've spent with me over the years, you have a lot of obstacles to overcome socially, emotionally. <laughs> You have a you have a lot to do. I, I'm pretty sure I should be kicking in on your therapy, but I'm pretty sure your insurance is a bit better than mine. Well, you know, uh, <laughs> we can't have everything, but we can't have some. So, you know, did you say we can't have something? I said we can't have everything, but we can have something. Okay, good. Something. You know what? I'm not even going to edit that. I'm just going to put my own ignorance and lack of hearing on full display. That's okay. So, first question uh, is, uh, what is your beverage of choice this fine evening, sir? Uh, we are blue mooning it this, mor- uh, this morning. Oh, see? We're <laughs> <laughs> Having a nice breakfast beer. <laughs> Goes really good on the Cheerios. Oh, goodness gracious. We're off to uh, a roaring start here. <laughs> blue mooning it, my friend. Blue mooning this evening. it. <laughs> now, can you, are you, can you get ticketed for that in Illinois? or is uh, oh, oh, you mean the beer? Yes. Oh, yes. oh, yes. okay. Yes. I thought there was some yes. paint and a car window and things no. involved. Okay. No, none of that. No, All right. No. Well, uh, no, no, no. here I am. I am. Uh, I am enjoying a rather nice glass of uh, Russell's Ten Year Reserve Bourbon Whiskey. Ah, there you go. It is a. It is a very classy beverage. Way very classier nice. than I probably deserve. Um, classier than a blue moon. Uh, well, I don't know. Well, depending on which blue moon we're talking about, yes and no. Um, so uh, perhaps we should uh, delve into exactly what we're doing here because, you know, for the yes. thousands and thousands of people who are going to be downloading this right out of the shoot because of how well known we are. Well, you know. To the millions and, and millions. So uh, the, the entire deal with this is uh, you are listening to two folks, uh, two gentlemen here who uh, were roommates back in college and had actually worked at the, uh, the warehouse of a service merchandise just to show what old bastards we really are. Uh, it's, it's, it's been a long and, and uh, interesting journey. Yes. Um, and we kind of realized after a certain point that the only time we were talking was after... Um, Boston teams won championships, and then there would be a call after the after the game, and that seemed to be the one time that we would actually call each other on the phone, and and actually have a conversation. Otherwise, it was kind of texts and and messages and stuff like that. Yeah, and uh, th- thankfully Boston has seen some success. Otherwise, uh, I don't know where we'd be right now. 
So for all you know? of you out there so, who hate Boston sports, this could be another reason for you to hate them. Or <laughs> could be a reason why you start to enjoy Boston sports because it brought us all together. Yes, very much so. Very much More so. than yes. likely, they're going to hate us still. And and I think we found these phone calls uh, where, where they started with our teams winning um, went just in different directions in terms of discussion. And so uh, while I, I think after we got through most of the – the the team winning the championship it was life it was other topics and i think at some point it was like two in the morning and we realized we had to get some rest so well um, you have a you have an actual regular job whereas i get to work from home according to my own hours so i was usually the one like no no just talk for a little bit longer yeah well yes that that is true so yeah so it's a bit of uh a little bit of everything but uh, but i think uh uh, you know, from from our discussions, I think we came to a place where we said, "Hey, why don't we, uh, you know, just ramble about some things and and uh, and see where it takes us." So, so there you have it. This is what this is all about. And uh, what our goal with this is is that we want this to. I I, I I will say this right up front. Most podcasts podcasts really get on my nerves because they're entirely too long. I mean, I don't have time for a three and a half hour podcast. You gotta you gotta trim that down a little bit or, or divvy it up into some bite-sized sections. So what we're trying to do here is actually do a podcast that will be in two uh, two parts. Uh, I, I kind of think of it as side A and side B of a record, or you could think of it as a tape. Um, I'd say an eight track, but then, well, you're hopeless. So <laughs> we're, you mean we're not just knocking it down to 250? <laughs> 350. Um Again, you know. Yes. How is that show still on the air? Can you believe that? I I can't claim to watch it, but yes, I I am aware of its existence still. So yeah, it's it's. Uh, I feel it's like pretty, I, it's pretty remarkable. I feel like I have that realization every year. Year like, oh my god, South Park is still on. That's still yeah, a thing. Yeah, from from the times when we would sit at a bar in Chili's after an evening at the warehouse. To, oh gosh. 20 years later <laughs> taking over all the TVs and the only reason we got away with it was we we had a guy who worked with us who was like eight and a half feet tall had to weigh yes. like you know three bills and they <laughs> people would turn around and be like hey we never mind <laughs> screw well, it I'll watch and, I'll watch the Bruins some other time it's only the playoffs well, and I think because we were also doing it at a time when that show was kind of hitting its its apex as far as you know culture goes and stuff that was kind of the big show at the time so well, I think people were a little more forgiving yes uh, and I no. don't think we'd pull that off now it was it it was it was real early on that I remember it I mean that was first second season that we were we were watching that that was right at the beginning man that was yeah Oh yeah, but anyway, so uh, we've already diverged into South Park. It's hence the name "Free Range Idiocy." Hey, see there you are bringing it all back. That's why he gets paid the big bucks, folks. That's right. All right, so we're going to do this uh, this particular episode in two parts, and what we're talking about this time is fans. Um, and so, do you want good news or bad news first? Or that's a nice way of saying, do you want the best or the worst first? Well, I would prefer we start with the worst and end with the best. I definitely agree. So we're going to start off with fans are the worst. That idea is just the worst. And we're coming at this from a point um, of kind of a Boston fandom, even though you happen to live in the, in the great state of Illinois now. We both kind of grew up 
watching Boston sports and especially at a time uh, really in between kind of a, uh, a decent era for Boston sports where, you know, Celtics were a powerhouse Red Sox. Eh, well, at least they made the world series and then they had that thing happen that we won't mention. And uh, the Bruins were, they were the kind of the Bruins and the Patriots even made the Super Bowl, and then they had that thing that we won't talk about. And then after that was that desert period. Yes. And that yeah. was kind of when we were watching a lot of sports. So for anyone who's out there saying, oh, Boston sports fans are spoiled, kind of, yeah, but you're also listening to two guys who dealt with the dry, dark times of, of yes. Boston sports. You know, there was a lot of 2-14 and 14 Patriots seasons, um, a lot of bad Red Sox seasons. I distinctly remember, especially when we were working uh, at the warehouse, um, that when it came time for the first Super Bowl victory, I think we were just both beside ourselves. You know, that it was just like we, we never really thought this was going to happen, <laughs> let no. alone happen six times. So. <laughs> no, I, I to this day, after that kick went through the uprights, I was waiting for them to announce that there was going to be a fifth quarter. I I just could not yes. believe something like that would happen, yeah. And that and that it would actually happen. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I that always comes to mind is just and, and one of the things that is is tough to deal with in terms of New England fandom is Boston sports fans. This phrase just keeps going through my mind. They eat their young, man. They just mm -hmm. they will they, they are passionate, but they will attack and fillet a player or coach or or front office person at the drop of a hat. It seems some more than others. Some some get a pass for a little while, but some they just jump right on. And even some that are are truly great athletes, they'll just torch them. Yeah, yeah, and and some would call that a loss of perspective. In a big way, yes, <laughs> yes. So yes, uh, yeah. You you have someone who is traditionally a a solid performer, and then uh, usually in Boston, uh, when when they uh, if they have you know I, I hate using the word choke, but if if they have a choke. Mm -hmm. Sort of moment um, during a very important game. Uh, it, it tends to be um, doomsday, off with their head, get rid of them. You know, it, it, it tends to be the end of the world as we know it. Oh, and, yeah, uh, the sky is falling. Yes, yes. And we've seen this many a time. Um, uh, I, I, I think we, in lieu of having won championships and going through the dry period, I think um, it, it was almost like a little skill we developed <laughs> of sorts as to just uh you know just lay into uh players when they are um you know just just when when they have those moments and you know one can argue that uh as a fan of of a sport that you know this is what you're rooting for this is what they're paid for um that i i don't know i don't know if i necessarily agree that they're paid for perfection but they are paid to do a job and to mm -hmm. do it well and you know i i uh you know, I can think of a number of, of different uh, occasions when you've had people who have been pretty solid players just have have one of those oops moments. And, uh, you know, it just it, it's interesting to see how the fan base reacts to those things and and the and the way in which they react to those things. And so I think I, I think that's a bit of what, we, what we're trying to talk about. Yeah. And a prime example of that is is Buckner, of course. 
Oh gosh, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's a guy who who just had the '86 World Series hung around his neck the moment it happened, and and pretty much until 2004 had to deal with that. And yeah. and there was a guy who, you look at his career, he had a, a good career. He was a solid player, and he was a good player for that team that year. Yeah. And ultimately, he, he yeah, he made a mistake. The fact is, though, there was about, there was umpteen other chances for that game to have ended before that happened. And yet, he's the one who ends up getting the blame. Even though there was other chances for that, other people made mistakes or other people could have ended right. it and didn't. And yet Buckner was the one who ended up having to bear that weight, which I yeah. think was, I mean, maybe a little bit deserved, a tiny bit, tiny bit. He made him, he made, he, he goofed. Right. But and what about all the other guys? What about Clemens? Right. He came and out of the game early. Oh, I've got a blister. Uh, really? Yeah. In a World Series game, you have a blister. Yeah, I I think with those sorts of situations, um, there there's a couple things that come to mind. First of all, um, with any sports, it it is a team sport. Um, we we mm-hmm. get into this mode of the superstars, the guys who excel, um, who uh, oftentimes the fans put the franchise on their shoulders, um, and you know some guys thrive in that you know sort of situation, and mm-hmm. that's that's you know, just where, where they excel. Um, and of course it's all the more magnified when they don't deliver. Mm -hmm. Um, but there's also the aspect, and and I come back to this a lot with, um, with any time, um, whether it's the Red Sox or the Celtics or the Patriots or the Bruins and, and they lose, which is, let's be honest, there, there's, there's plenty of time. I mean, every game is played for the same amount of time and regulation, Mm -hmm. you know, and then there's overtime, um, if, if it's needed these teams can get the job they, they're working with the same time structure every time they go into a game they're, they're working with the same pool of talent it's just a question of whether the execution happens or it doesn't and you know when you look at something like like the buckner um play which which you know is is forever seared on the hearts of boston fans um how many different opportunities did they have in at other points in that game to jump to a bigger lead you know, mm-hmm. or or to make a better play, which would have prevented um, the other team from scoring. Um, yep. You know, I think when we get caught up as fans in the moment, th- and that's what I kind of meant by loss of perspective. I think there's uh, that feeling, you know, you have to have some way, I guess, to deal with the disappointment. But there's that loss of just logic, you know, that, that comes into play as a fan. And it's and it's real easy to, to want to find a scapegoat. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and for, for Buckner, I mean, I, um, I, I remember, um, you know, I remember that happening. Um, and, you know, even as a kid, it, it was, it was hard for me to get, you know, I, I was actually kind of more upset at Bob Stanley, I think that night, cause I think he was put in and he was pitching just awful, you know, ah, and, the and steamer. Oh, the steam! Yeah, he was the steamer, all right. <laughs> Jeez, Louise, <laughs> good lord! Um, Never trust a relief pitcher with a nickname, the steamer. Oh my gosh! Uh, yeah, and and I just, um, you know, I, I look back at that, and and 
you know, that's a great, and, and that's something I always felt got missed um, once that play happened was, I, I'm pretty sure it was Stanley. I have to go back and look, but um, he was brought in in relief of Clemens, and he was just pitching horribly. I don't know if it was nerves. I don't know what it was, but I remember sitting there being like, my God, why is this guy not pitching better? And then the thing happened with Buckner, and you're just, and so everyone's honed in on that. Mm-hmm. And and I'm and I, <laughs> I kind of had this picture in my head of Stanley just kind of slinking off. He's like, all right, I'm gonna leave this guy to catch all the heat for me. <laughs> you know, it's it's one yeah. of those things that I think people forget what the aggregate. You know, there, there's an aggregation of, of different actions that happen that that kind of make up these moments, and mm-hmm. uh, it, it's funny what you tend to forget. And um, well, and it, I think it's so natural. Like it's easier just to blame one person than to say, well, this person had a part in it. This part, it's just cleaner and easier. People want a scapegoat. They want that one thing to focus on because then you can direct it all right there. And yeah. it's it, it can be for an, uh, it can be for a singular incident, or it can be even just in general. I think. And this is where there's another example I think that is a, not that far in the in the rear view right now, where uh, looking at the Bruins. You know, losing in the Stanley Cup, Tuca. I mean that yeah. that poor guy has had an outstanding career with the Bruins, and yet he can do no right for some fans. They yeah. were they were starting to get behind him, and then you know, Game Seven happens, and there was people. I knew there was going to be people instantly complaining if they lost, and it was going to be right on this guy's shoulders, even though he's one of the biggest reasons they got there in the first place. Right. Because, and and in his case, I think it's it's not necessarily that one incident. It's the fact that he's following someone else and that he isn't Tim Thomas. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The funny thing is, for most of his career, Tim Thomas wasn't Tim Thomas. Yeah. Tim Thomas really had that one season... That was, I mean, granted, it was one of the greatest seasons and probably the greatest postseason any goalie has ever had in NHL history. But other than that, I, I mean, he was a guy. I mean, you, if you, I, I actually, I looked up the statistics for for Tuca and for Thomas, just out of morbid curiosity, really. And I was like, oh, I need to get them at you know, the same age. So at this point, I, and I'm going on memory now because mm-hmm. that this was previously. Um, if you got Tim Thomas at the same age as Tuca now, I'm pretty sure Thomas had only had like three seasons in the NHL. He'd been yeah. a journeyman. He'd been, a, um, he'd been in the AHL minor leaguer. Right. Thomas has been in, in the NA, has been in the NHL for 12 years now. Right. That says something. And and he's and, and their their statistics, life lifetime statistics are not that far off. Like Thomas might have a a, a bare edge in this past year if you compare this uh, Stanley Cup run to uh, that Tuca had to Tim Thomas's Stanley Cup run when they won. Not that much different. Right. Like right. a few percentage points where, where Thomas has the edge. Uh, but not like, oh my gosh, this guy is a complete sieve. Like it's it's just five hole and red lights all night long. Yeah. No, but that guy that guy takes the takes the heat, right? 
for it all. Right. And, you know, and, and it goes back to, I think, my point about about the team. I think, um, you know, when, when you look at that game, um, you know, St. Louis jumped out to an early lead. Um, you know, Boston just could not seem to score. Mm-hmm. Um, when then you had, just, you had, what was it? Uh, it was Marshan who who went back to the bench and basically he, he made him he was he should have stayed on the ice and he went back to the bench and his guy is the one that either got the assist or the score i can't remember it now because it's been a while right right yeah and and you know so again you know where is the offense where is i mean honestly i think game seven was just one of those cases where our team just got outplayed and mm-hmm. You know, as a fan, you you don't want to utter those words. You know, it's it, I, I think it's very hard to uh, process and deal with that reality sometimes, especially, um, you know, if, if you're in a situation where you're with friends who are of, you know, fans of the opposing team. Um, you know, I, I think that's where a lot of this tends to come from is just the angst of your your team just didn't achieve and the other one did, yeah. you know, and. And in this case, like like you said, you look for a scapegoat um, because someone's got to be blamed for the failure. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, at, at the end of the day, you know, I think back to um, and and you're gonna have to remind me again. Um, this movie, um, the one Jimmy Fallon made about Boston, it fever was kind of like a fever pitch. You know that that whole scene where. Um, you know, he and his buddies are at this bar and they're looking over, and they happen to see that you know Johnny Damon and um, who was it, uh, Veritech and um, Millar, wasn't uh, it? Millar, yeah, I think we're we're sitting at a at a table having you know dinner together, and they had just lost this game, and and it was just you know the point of the scene was just to show like how just devastated and just upset that the, that they as fans were, and they look over and these guys are sitting there eating dinner, just talking like nothing's wrong, like there wasn't anything, and and it wasn't you know a situation of a championship being lost, but it was it was just the idea that. Y- you know, when these guys lose, they they know they're in this for, especially with baseball, it, it is a marathon, not a sprint. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, I think it's a perspective thing. I, I think, uh, you know, these guys who play the game have been through ups and downs at different levels of play. Mm-hmm. And I think you just come to a point of, you know, processing that. Now, when you get up to the champ, when you're playing professionally and you get to a championship level, I, I, I get that that changes a bit, you know, and I think especially about football because um, around Super Bowl time, you have a lot of anecdotes, a lot of stories about, you know, guys, players uh, putting a lot of pressure on themselves because this may be their only trip. Yeah. You know, um, that, look at that, Dan Marino. Yeah. This, this may be their only trip. And, it's not a guarantee. I know Brady and the Patriots have kind of uh, challenged that notion to some degree, but but they they are an anomaly. And and you know, um, as much as it's going to annoy the anti-Boston listeners who are listening to this, um, you know, we're probably not going to see a run like this again for a long time. You no. know, um, no. Th- th- this was a flash in, in the pan. Um, well, I don't think know. it's a flash in the pan. I think it's, and and this is a whole other podcast, but. It's a it's you get you have certain ingredients together that don't come together very often and stay together very often. Yeah. Yeah. You have the you have the right owner, you have the right coach, you have the right quarterback. Right. And even though there's been issues here there throughout the years, they've stuck together. Yeah. And yeah. and it's the right mixture of people who are also 
fairly intelligent and don't need it to be all about them right. individually. Right. Like it can be about all of them, but it's not like about, you know, like me. Right. That's right. unusual in sports. Yeah, I, and, I think and, in any any kind of le- any kind of endeavor that's that competitive. Yeah, and and time and, and you're right. Time-wise, it is not a flash in the pan. I mean, they've been doing this for almost 20 years. It's more like We're, a deep fryer that's been left on. Yeah, basically. But but what is I think unique about it is the fact that the the run they've been on um, we've only seen it in, in a microcosm kind of way with certain franchises over the course of three to four years, and we called those things dynasties. Mm-hmm. And here with the Patriots, it's the first one you've seen where they had a run, they went dry for a few years, and now they just had this other run in a, in a totally different decade. And yeah. um, and so, you know, as, as fans, I think we, we you know, we look at those things as, as kind of life or death from a fan perspective. Um, I'm sure athletes put a lot of pressure on themselves, especially, you know, like I said, I I mean, sure at the collegiate level as well, but I mean, at the professional level, when you play in the sort of game that you may have watched when you were a kid, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and now you're participating in it and there isn't a guarantee that every year you're going to make it there. I mean, probably the world series is another example of that um, because it's not, a guarantee all the time that, you know, the same, um, you know, teams are going to be in the mix uh, year after year after year. You yep. know, I mean, you see the Red Sox and Yankees, yes. Um, you know, you have from the National League, you know, some some standard teams that, that, that make it in there. But, um, but then you have the Kansas Cities and you have the Clevelands who, you know, it, it's not a guarantee for them all the time, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I think for – uh, for you know, I'm sure athletes put that pressure on themselves, but I think for fans, you know, there, there's a different perspective we have, and you know, we feel let down when our team doesn't win. Um, we we want more out of the guys, but you know, honestly, if if you look at that, if you look at any sort of game where your team um, ends up on the losing end of it, I mean, I, I think of the Patriots Eagles game from from um, you know, not this past Super Bowl, obviously, but the one prior. I mean. Yeah, it helps to have them have won five Super Bowls. Uh, I'll be honest, but at the same time, that was a hell of a football game. Yeah, and and if you're sitting there griping about the fact that the Patriots lost, you you know, as a football fan, you got to look at that again and say, come on, you know, I mean, here's a team that hasn't won the championship. They were on a run. Um, they 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 just had this spark about them, and they played the Patriots extremely well and you got to just tip your cap to the teams that come prepared and just play a heck of a game and and just and appreciate it for what it is because you know it's it stinks to lose but we also can't win them all either well and that's and that's the loss of perspective because people you know you start out as a fan of the game you would hope or you you're a fan of the game along with being the fan of the team because if if you can't appreciate a well-played game then you're not really a fan of the the game you're just you're just you want your team to win so you have bragging rights or I, I don't know what but yeah I mean it's it's yeah you're bummed you're ticked off and I go back to I'll, and and I know it's easy to say oh yeah you guys been there but even going back to like uh you know when the Patriots got their butt handed to them by Green Bay in the Super Bowl to go back when the Patriots were still looking for not just not just a championship, just respectability. That was all we wanted. That was, right. that was just can we just not be the doormat that's getting our butt kicked like by everybody? 
Right. Can we right. just be respectable? Like, just a middling franchise would have been acceptable, you right. know? And that's why everyone was so excited when Parcells got hired. It's like, hey, someone actually wanted to come here. Like, they didn't get exiled to New England. They actually chose <laughs> to come here. Holy crap. Yes. And, uh, and so, but going back to that, even as upset as I was that the Patriots lost, I was like, you know, that... It was kind of a hell of a game. Like I saw history. I got to watch Reggie White play, you know, do his thing on the biggest stage. And Brett Favre played well in that game. And you know, even though Desmond Howard just ran roughshod over the over the Patriots, like my, that was incredible. It was yeah. a it was it was a it was an incredible game to watch. Even though I did not like the result, and I can't say that I was ju- you know jumping up and down like, ooh, what a, what a wonderful game this is. Yeah. I could still appreciate the fact that it was, it was a it was a good game, and that there was parts of it that were historic. Yeah. And yeah. if you lose that perspective completely, that's when you just go completely just nuts. And the problem is, I think that a lot of times, you know, fans in general do that. I think Boston fans used to do it to an excellent degree, and still do in some in some ways. Not nearly as bad. I think that the championships have at least taken the edge off, which is nice. That- that that much is true. I mean, I think you know it's it's it is easy to sit here and talk about this stuff when you've seen some measure of success from your teams. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I I don't know if we tried doing this twenty years ago when we were in the uh, the dark ages, um, if uh, if we would have been as optimistic or as positive as we are. But I don't know if I we do would have th- even been rational or sober either. Well, that that's a whole other story. <laughs> Remember, that's where they were still rational making. in our twenties. Come on now, <laughs> they were still making Mickey's fall, fine malt liquor at that point. Oh my gosh! Yes, yes. Um, but uh, but that actually bringing up the Patriots brings up another one of those points of sometimes people are just will get on an athlete or or be completely in, irrational about it, even when there's no good reason for them. Like, and, and the Patriots are a good example because of Drew Bledsoe, and. Yeah. Yeah. When he was drafted after, oh, I don't know, his first season and a half, he was the best quarterback in Patriots history. Yep. He, already, like just talent-wise and, and what he had achieved in that time. I mean, I'd probably – I think it was his second season when he had that game against Minnesota where he set, he set a record for attempts and completions. I think he had like 50 completions in the game – they won like 28 to 21 and they scored all four of those touchdowns in the second half because yeah. Parcells basically just went no huddle and just let Bledsoe just throw the ball anywhere and everywhere and it was amazing it was amazing yeah. to watch someone do that because you're you're like oh my gosh it's like watching Dan Marino in his prime like no one I've never seen anyone play quarterback like that in New England like yeah. wearing that uniform I've never seen this before it was it was it was like it was like if, if we saw like an alien come down and throw on a Red Sox jersey tomorrow and right. had four arms. You'd be like, well, I ain't quite seen that before. You know, I mean, <laughs> it was just a foreign concept. And yeah. yet there was still so many people who were like, oh, yeah, he sucks. He's not that good. It's like, who else would you rather have? Would you like Tony Eason to come back? Right. And, and just even even on a more rat on a more equal note, your your choices were Rick Meyer or Drew Bledsoe. Gee, let me think. Would you? I mean, it's almost like for people who thought Peyton Manning wasn't that good, like, oh, would you rather take Ryan Leaf? Because the Chargers would love to talk to you. 
Right. You know, I mean, it's it's like it was totally irrational and people had no I mean, there was I forget who it was. There was even someone who was like, you know, and people used we're talking like they're you're like at San Francisco or some bastion of quarterbacks like you've yeah. never had a really great. You had Steve Grogan. That was the closest you ever came to having like a quote unquote great quarterback. And I'm sure Steve Grogan would even say. Yeah, no, no, no. That, Steve, Steve Grogan, unfortunately, was was they they kept him together with duct tape. I think so. I mean, he, his gimmick was that he got his ass kicked and he kept getting back up. Yeah, and he yeah. was and he, and he did he did great. He had a fantastic career and and you know for a for a franchise that could never put anything around him anyways. Yeah, he did fantastic. Right. Right. But his talent level was nowhere near what Drew Bledsoe's was. Say whatever you want about Bledsoe. But people were just irrationally hating on him for no good reason, right. no good reason, because they all oh we always feel like we deserve better, we should have better, we should this and that. Which brings me actually to my my least favorite fans, even though it's one of my favorite kind of memories from childhood. Some of my least favorite fans are Star Wars fans. <laughs> I know and why is that. <laughs> Let the hate flow through you. Um, the because there's so that's many. Quite, sorry, that's quite a pivot to go from Drew Bledsoe to Star Wars. I don't know, man. I, but I, I but I commend you, sir, for 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 taking the hard right. I I, I feel like it's not that far of a journey um, because to me it's a similar thing. Like people hated on Bledsoe because you know they're always like they wanted better. They felt entitled to yeah. better. Like it wasn't well, good enough that Bledsoe was like a great young quarterback who could who had an immense natural talent in spite yeah. of taking tremendous punishment. I mean that yeah. dude got his ass kicked a well, lot that, of years. Yeah, and that was something I wanted to mention before we we take the hard right to Star Wars is <laughs> is uh, that's what gets lost. And again, it, I think a lot of it comes back to loss of perspective. I, I think Boston fans forget how awful. An offensive line. Um, no offense to the guys playing on the line, but just how how awful the line was mm-hmm. in protecting him. You know, yeah. I mean, I th- they they went through a several year period um, where, I mean, they just could not stop anything, well, they, and they he was just several, getting pounded on. A couple of years, he set the record for sacks, and yeah. that was before David Carr then took the crown forever. Mm-hmm. That poor guy, I'm pretty sure, is just wakes up in a cold sweat every night. Right. Right. You know, um, but, but it, you're you're right. There, there's an entitlement sort yeah. of aspect to this, and and I think uh, that's where you were kind of making the hard right over to Star Wars, I believe. Well, and that's what that's what aggravates me about Star Wars fans is the entitlement and almost like kind of an elitist like, oh well, I prefer the original trilogy and this and that and the other. And you know, when the when the when the prequel trilogy came out, everyone was excited. Everyone was, oh my gosh, more Star Wars. Give me more Star Wars. Star Wars. And it was like, it was like all of a sudden, like junkies around the world realized there was a new source. And, mm-hmm. and, and then everyone went to see the Phantom Menace was like, oh, huh. Right. Um, how are we supposed to feel about this? Because we've been waiting for this for like a lot of years. And that kind of sucked. Yeah. <laughs> But yet yeah. we were all really excited about it. Yep. We didn't realize this whole thing was about like trade negotiations. I was gonna say there's nothing like a trade blockade to really get the uh, action juices flowing. Yeah, and and you and you see like the bad guy for all of like two and a half minutes of screen time. 
Well, which and, was a, a really weird move, anyways. And and if I can put the entitlement cap on for a moment, um, one of the things that really bothered me about episode one, amongst you know, first and foremost, the Trade Federation and all that garbage, was the fact that um, I don't know if they realized they had it when they filmed it or not, but they had created what I felt was the next version of Darth Vader in a way in in Darth Maul. Mm-hmm. Um, just a very unique looking very uh interesting sort of villain um which of course you know you you didn't see him that much and but when you did see him it was very effective and it was very you know he was just like this kind of force that just kept coming at you know the uh protagonist yeah and with no lines like i think he has what three lines in the whole movie he has he has three lines i mean it was just this great thing and then they off you know they they off him in the first movie and i'm like what the heck yeah (laughs) it's like you you you've just stumbled upon like like gold that i don't think you realized you had and it would have been kind of neat to at least i mean even if if his arc was to be you know um taken out at some point in in the second or third episode i just always thought it would have been pretty cool for them to do that 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 arc with him across the trilogy as opposed to just in just the first movie but well the thing but that's, that's me being an entitled fan so i will take a step back yeah well i mean and you know the thing that stands out to me about episode one is that you dragged me to like a midnight showing of that look mister <laughs> it was the first which i will never let content, you live down and i will never forgive you for in 16 years come on you know you have to uh you know throw in and uh go all in so i will forgive you for anything else except that <laughs> much as I, much as there was a friend of mine who took me uh, another friend of mine who took me to see rain of fire the the matthew mcconaughey christian bale dragon okay, vehicle that's that is a greater infraction than what i did come on now <laughs> uh no because the build-up for star wars episode one was a hell of a lot more than rain of fire but they're both unforgivable I just remember walking out of the theater at like 3 a.m. because we went to this like midnight showing and it was it was really late when we left. And, and the everyone look on, was the everyone look was on dazed. your face. Everyone who walked out of that theater was dazed, whether it was because of the time or they felt like they just endured a hostage situation. I don't know yeah. what it was. Yeah, we uh, they totally should have been serving booze at that thing. <laughs> That's the only way that it could have been better just to medicate people. Oh, my people. gosh. Yeah. But uh, but so so but, I mean, episode one sucked i mean to the point where people then came up with an order to watch the movie in which excluded that entire movie because they realized there was nothing in it that didn't get mentioned in other movies so you didn't really need it which to me is kind of not the point of making a movie like you want the movie to actually matter so that people go see it well and call me crazy the the other big gripe about that is it started to more quantify i think what the force was right i mean there was this concept of oh, it wasn't like the, a blood disease or some weird crap like that or something close um yeah that the, the, the force was really driven by these sort of microorganisms and stuff and, and i think that also really threw the fan base for a loop because um it's magic amoebas yeah basically and <laughs> and apparently uh, anakin was just loaded up with them so you know um, what the problem was i think lucas was drinking well, you know, it's funny you say that. <laughs> <laughs> I have a theory. <laughs> no, but but seriously, let me dig out my files. <laughs> there, there's um, there, there's a book uh, I read last year um, by uh, Brian J. James. He he did an autobiography, uh, did a biography on um, 
on George Lucas called uh, it's called George Lucas a life and I believe in that book I'm trying to I'm just going off of memory here but um, I believe he said that Lucas um, as much as he enjoyed creating the universe and the characters and kind of the arc of the story around it he was never a big fan of the writing and I think he he wrote much of what happened I think in in those um, prequels Um, and it's um, and I think it's evident, you know, I think, I, I think he does a fantastic job with effects. I think he, he's very imaginative in the worlds that he's trying to create and how he, um, renders those and, and, and materializes them in, in terms of digital effects. Um, but I, I just think his, it is not his forte to write and, and to write dialogue for that matter, because, you know, as, as Anakin and Padme are supposed to be this romantic story, and it was it came across as as a very kind of cardboard sort of. Well, and this <laughs> is the know, other thing. thing, and this is the other thing that people, and this is actually a great example of that kind of revisionist histories because people will crap on like, oh, the storytelling. Because again, the prequel trilogy got off to a, a horrible start with Episode One, then it kind of got a little bit better, but it would be, I mean, it's, it would have been hard to suck worse than the first one. So by comparison. Two and three were like Citizen Kane and It's a Wonderful Life, you know? Yeah. It was, yeah. they were amazing by comparison, but still lesser movies than, than the original trilogy. Well, right. then when The Force Awakens comes out, I actually heard people saying, oh no, I, I liked episode one better than this. You are full of crap. Because right. nobody liked episode one. You're right. just saying that. And, and, oh, well, the dialogue isn't that great, and the acting isn't that great, and this and that, and the storytelling. I'm like, are you kidding? Like, the original trilogy, let's, be, you know, hashtag real talk, okay? <laughs> the original trilogy is basically, like, recycled Flash Gordon serials, because that's, right. that's what George Lucas was writing. He was writing, like, those Saturday matinee sci-fi things. Yeah, he, he based it off of the love of, of, those, of those movies. And nothing wrong with that. But please don't try and pretend that that's like some great, you know, uh, example of of screenwriting and oh, it's so novel. And no, it's it's the same thing that other people have been doing for a long time before that. They've done it since then. He was not reinventing the wheel by any circumstance. And the dialogue was extraordinarily stilted in those movies. Yeah. I mean, you go back and watch it, for God's sake. I mean, you're trying to tell me that, oh, well, the dialogue in these movies isn't very good. Did you see episode four? Yeah. Because some of that is just, it's like people don't talk. Mark Hamill even says, like, who talks this way when he talks? Like, he has that one line that he's, it's like stuck forever in his memory that was in his audition. It was like, uh, something about, you know. Go to Tashi Station for the power converters? Something like that. But it was like. <laughs> Again, like nobody talks like that, and and but yet, Star Wars fans, some I'm not going to say all because I don't need to have like somebody dressed up as Chewbacca show up at my house. Hello, what have we? Although that here? would be kind of awesome. I mean, if I got to get my butt kicked by some by somebody, I guess you know a Wookiee would be a novel choice. Um, uh, it'd be interesting, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, I might be able to outrun him because I mean, imagine after a while, heat stroke takes it. You know, I might have that. <laughs> Going for me. All I have to do is make it far enough down the street that they just collapse. All right, I think um, we're getting off topic. <laughs> were we ever on topic is the question. Well, you, you did make the hard right from Drew Bledsoe to Star right, Wars. I, so. But I am bringing this back around. So the entitlement yes. factor is the same, though, yeah. is that pe- people, star, a lot of Star Wars fans feel entitled to have 
you know, they want that great movie. And the fact is, one, they're comparing to flawed movies that they have built up in their minds as this perfection. Mm-hmm. And yeah. nothing else is ever going to match that. Right. And, right. and, and it's frustrating ahead. because you just want to say, well, just don't watch the new movies then. Right. Because if you're never going to improve on that, all you're doing is torturing yourself. It's like if you have a favorite dish, like my favorite burger in the entire world is made at this restaurant in this city. But yet I'm going to go and have a burger every other place that I go, even though I know it's never going to top that. And I know that because I've had burgers at other places, but I continue to do it. Stop. Go get a salad. Because yeah. you know it's not going to be as good. Go back yeah, the, and have a burger at the place you like. Yeah, the, the, the prequels really boil down to seeing that moment of, of the, the, the shift to the dark side. That, that's what everyone was waiting for, and that's why I think episode three of those three movies is is the most popular. And, and you can see the focus in the writing, too. I mean, even, you know, two was, was I think, really to, again, try to pay some fan service to, to these sort of notes that people wanted to see play out like where did the you know what are the clone wars how did that happen what what were the what was the story behind that that was kind of an interesting thing to look into the three was really about you know finally anakin making that turn and that's what fans were all jazzed to see is like finally this transformation from this you know person of of good intentions into this you know dark lord who ends up you know you know, basically being a part of this reign of terror over the, you know, galaxy for, for like, you know, 25 years. Mm-hmm. And then you get to seven and yeah, the, the biggest complaint was it was a rehash or recycling of what happened in episode four, which I get it. It's fair. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it was, it was different enough that I felt it, it justified what they did. And then you get to eight and eight is interesting to me because, now you start to see the argument fall apart for, for some of these fans. Yes. Because if your biggest concern is the lack of creativity. Yeah. I want to see something different. Right. But it, I want to see e- something different, but exactly the same as what I've seen before. Episode eight is different. Episode eight was different enough. Um, the only thing I can really put a pin on to say, yes, they, they kind of took this from Empire was the relentless pursuit of of the First Order after the Rebels. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much it. Outside of that, the rest of the movie plays very differently and has a very different tone to it than Empire did. Um, But was there that much of it? I mean, it it wasn't even close to that, really. It was a very very upfront pursuit in in Episode 8, whereas Episode, you know, uh, Empire was more... Like every everywhere that they went, they ran into the Empire. Yes, because and, the Empire was everywhere, and that whole tie-in that they did, where you had the Empire having this technology where they could basically follow wherever they were going, w- was really interesting to see play out, and and it reminded me a lot of um, the it's the second episode of the first season of Battlestar Galactica, the two thousands version. And well, I'm, technically, it's actually the it's that's the first episode of the first. Oh, season. oh, is, is that, it considered it was, the first? Yeah, yeah, because it was a mini series before that. That was it was called like thirty like thirty three minutes, right? 33. Wasn't it? it was just thirty three. Oh, thirty three again. Boston sports fans should at that point have just been like, <laughs> <laughs> it all comes back to Boston sports, baby. Wicked pissa, um, I'm in. 
33 Larry Bird, Bob. But anyway. but but to take that concept of um, so for, for those who aren't familiar with Battlestar Galactica, the the Cylons have wiped out this human civilization. There's what what is it like 40, 50,000 humans left on yeah, this one spaceship. Like and in this episode, they did this really interesting thing where, um, and, and this is what I really appreciated about that series, was how they were trying to bring some reality into this, uh, in, into this sci-fi show, where they were playing with this idea that the, the crew was heavily fatigued, um, they were constantly being pursued, every 33 minutes, um, the Cylons would jump exactly to where they were, and mm-hmm. they had to then have another jump plan to get away from them. Yeah, and you um, saw all and the people getting tired and fatigued. Absolutely. You saw the fatigue. You saw the effects of just this relentlessness that was going on. And I thought it was really interesting in Star Wars. I don't know if they were if this was intentional or not, but I really kind of felt that same tension from that episode when that mo- when Episode Eight was playing out, where, where you had this, this constant pursuit of the Empire after... The resistance, and I thought that was kind of a really neat thing to kind of weave into the story that we hadn't seen before. Yeah, um, you know, you didn't have a moment like uh, Luke and Vader where it's you know I am your father sort of thing. And you know, let's be honest, you're not going to see a moment like that again. That that moment exists as it is because no one had ever seen it before, and no one saw it coming. Well, I at, at the same time though, Episode Eight did have. I mean, they it did have a moment like that. You can you could say that 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 final, you know the 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 the, the fight between Kylo and Luke. Oh, where and he's then projected. the reveal. Yeah. yeah. And then and then also the reveal of just how how strong um, how strong Ray is. Yeah. All of that coming out was to me was very not. I don't want to say it's the same because again I don't think it's the same, uh, but it. To me, it's similar in tone and and in like just reveal that holy crap, yeah, like oh he's not there, you right? Know, and oh wait, this is you know this is happening. I mean, I don't know if I would put it on the same level as as the Vader Luke reveal. Oh, totally not. You know what I totally mean? Totally not. But but yeah, there there's two points of of indirection that happens in that movie that does catch you off guard. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, you're absolutely right. When when he projects himself and that gets revealed, I think the other one is when Kylo, um, you know, basically takes out um, the Supreme Chancellor. Um, uh, forgetting his name, but he takes him out. You know, cuts him in half, Snoke. and that's it. Snoke, thank you. Um, takes him out, and um, you know, I think that was another point of ire for fans because you know, again. There, there's complaints about how well we expect to see this character fleshed out, and we want to understand his story. And you know, is is he potentially this? Um, uh, you know, people go all the way back to episode three when when Palpatine talked about this Sith Lord who had this ability to, um, you know, keep himself alive. And you know, was was Snoke potentially? You know, one of the theories going around was that Snoke was potentially this guy he was talking about, and he had been there the whole time and was orchestrating things. And it's like. That's all really great fan fiction, but it's not clearly where the story was going to go. And I yeah. thought it was much more effective to go in there and take out the big guy in charge um, because it completely sets the table now in a different direction that we've never really seen before. Like, we don't have an emperor figure right now. We don't have um, – it's, it's very unclear what the First Order is at this point. You know, it's very unclear what the rebels are going to do at this point. Um all of that uncertainty at the end of episode eight, I thought was 
wildly refreshing because now going into nine, I don't know what the heck to expect. And and yeah. I can't tell with fans sometimes if they they want everything. You know, they 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 want to be surprised and shocked, but at the same time they want to like I don't know that they could fully articulate what it is they want. You yes. know what I mean? Yeah, that, and that I think that is the most important that that is that's it right there. You in in one moment you've nailed what I've been trying to say for the past like half hour. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> that's why I'm getting paid the big bucks. <laughs> well, hey, somebody's got to do it. Uh, but no, that that is true. I I don't think fans can necessarily articulate what it is they really want because they right. do. Uh, people they have a they have a they have a yearning for something new, for something yeah. different. But yet we still love comfort, and that's why franchises, even though there's this whole thing now about oh you know franchises are and the millennials are killing out fran like uh, no the franchises are killing out franchises because guess what nobody wants to go to Applebee's anymore because they're realizing the food is crap. Um, yeah. If you're a franchise that actually serves decent food, people will probably still go. Um, yeah. But there's a reason why there will always be franchises until you know some sort of post-apocalyptic future where every and, and even then there'll probably still be a Taco Bell somewhere. You know. Right. But because we like being able to go somewhere and see something familiar, you know, there's right. just sometimes when. You know, if you're traveling or something like that, you you don't if you're tired, like you just drove like 10 hours. And if you if I see like whatever franchise, because I don't want to promote any in, in particular. But if I see, oh, hey, I know for a fact I can go and get something that I like and I don't have to deal with it right now because I'm tired. And all I want to do is eat something and go to bed. Yeah, that's what I'll go for because I don't want to go to like, you know. Ted's, you know, Burger Shack. I don't know if I'm, you know, if I'm going to even like it or if I'm going to find anything there that I want to eat. I know if I go to this place, I will find something that more than likely will be a reproduction of something I I I at least enjoy somewhat. Right. And then I can go about, you know, going to sleep or whatever. And 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 I think with anything like that in in arts and entertainment, I think that's kind of the, the the tension that will always exist between the artists and the fans is that the the fans come to enjoy the artist for certain reasons and then they want to see those reasons kind of continued um, mm -hmm. but yet they want it to be fresh and sometimes those things don't necessarily um, you know come together the, the the way that that fans would like them to you know yeah. um, I I know you know being um, uh, being a big fan of the group Rush, I, I know in their history that they went through a phase in the mid to late 80s where um, a lot of their music went from being guitar heavy to being very keyboard heavy. And um, and that was just a phase they went through exploring that sound um, up through the early 90s until they then reverted back to being um, the three piece of guitar, bass and drums that had made them, you know, a, a fantastic band. But uh, you know, through that period, um, you know, there, there, there's a documentary about the band called Beyond the Lighted Stage. And, you know, there's a fan that brought up a really great point, which is like, you know, I, you know, I can't blame them for wanting to explore different styles of music. I mean, that that's that's why essentially that's why that person and that's why, for example, I'm a fan is I very much appreciate the varied nature of what they've done. You mm -hmm. know, they, they, they didn't stay and do the same thing over and over and over again. They were always 
trying to push beyond the prior album. They were trying yeah. to do something different. And and when you look at something like a franchise like Star Wars, it, it comes down to, I think, as fans, us needing to give the the, the director and, and those involved some latitude in terms of trying to pr- present their art in a certain way, knowing that it may not be the thing that jives with us. I mean, I, I think for Star Wars fans, there's a lot of grown-up adults who are longing for whatever it is they felt as kids, you know? Yeah, um, and you're not going to feel that. That's and right. that's and that's a tough thing. Like there's times that you kind of get close to it. Like I will admit, you know, when I when the when episode, uh, I think I think episode seven really was the one that kind of hit me because and you know maybe it's because I have a daughter and I and I see like oh wow there's like there's a there's a, a female lead in this and mm-hmm. you know and she's young and. And there is that very much, you know, the parents aren't there. And so there's this kind of, there's this, there's this thing. And I I was like, wow, for whatever reason, like I, I was like, I want to share these movies with my daughter. Cause I, I I was just excited when she kind of got to that age where she was, you know, she, okay. I think she can watch these movies and they're not going to be scary for her or anything like that. And she seemed like she might like them. And we started watching the star Wars movies and that was exciting for me because I was like, I got to watch her experience those for the first time. Right. Because you right. never get to see the, those movies for the first time ever again. That's the whole point. Like, you, that's, you saw it that first time, and that's, that's, that was your thing. And that's right. in your memory. Um, but that experience and, and people wanting that again, and it's like, it's just not going to happen. Like, you get to experience it in a different way, and you might feel some some hints of that. You might feel even close to that like oh wow it felt like I was like 10 years old again and I was watching Star Wars for the first time on a big screen right kinda but it's not exactly and I think that might play a part as well I think I think you're right in that and I and it's hard to enunciate all of that and to pull it all together yeah yeah and you know going back to the Rush example like um, they they had an album called um, Grace Under Pressure which again was in that kind of keyboard phase and there's a song on there called Red Sector A and that song is very much inspired from and, and really much evokes um, the, the sort of concentration camp and the Holocaust sort of tone, um, you know, in the lyrics and, and, and what the song is expressing. If I'm someone who just completely just shuts off because I don't appreciate, you know, the keyboards, you know, there, there's songs like that that are kind of nested in there mm-hmm. that I don't hear. And, and if you listen to any of you listen to the song, it, it's really kind of a very interesting song. You, you, you get from the music the, you know, the, the, the band has, has been able to kind of generate this desperate tone in, in the tone of the song, you know, in, in, in terms of the melody they're playing. And, and the words combined in that, you know, it just it kind of presents this really like textured sort of song where you're, you're getting the message not just audibly through the words but through the music as well Mm -hmm. and and there's an experience that i would miss had i not you know just at least opened my mind to it a little bit you know and and tried that um and and i think you know going back to that point about articulation i just think fans uh as a whole tend to just um you know like we were just saying they they just tend to want Something that's familiar, but something that's creative that entertains them, that makes them happy, and and sometimes those things don't always come together. You know, especially when you have different people 
trying to express the art form in, in a particular way. Yeah, we, so, we turn into like a, an army of little Veruca salts. Like, I want it and I want it now. Right, basically. Basically, that that's right. So so I, I, I just think, you know, having and, – and again, we're in our 40s now. I think with some experience, you kind of – come to these sorts of conclusions. I don't know at 20 that I would have been as measured in my thinking, you know? Um, but I do think that, um, for, for fans as a whole, I, I think we need to take a step back, you know, especially when we're talking, I mean, again, this is entertainment or it's sports, you know, it's, it's not life, you know, <laughs> yes. there's so much more to it than that. And, and I think that, um, to take a step back and really kind of think about, um, you know, just was this fun? You know, I, I enjoyed seeing seven and eight because I'm seeing brand new Star Wars content, like you just mentioned with your daughter, with my sons, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and my wife. And, and I'm seeing, you know, my family, you know, the family that we have now, we're now sitting down and watching three Star Wars movies the way that I watched them with 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 my parents, you know. And so I'm getting to have that experience. And so that's for me what I enjoy. And and I'm enjoying where they're taking the story. I'm curious where nine is going to go. And there may be some callbacks to the original trilogy for nine, you know, based on some of the things I'm seeing. And, you know, that's okay. Let's, let's see where these guys take us on this journey. And, um, you know what, at the end of the day, I think it'll be a good story. I just think it's not going to be exactly the story that everyone wants. And, you know, you're not going to be able to please all the people all the time. No. And you probably shouldn't. He's the best. Love it. All right, so now uh, we've spent enough time talking about the worst. It's time to get on to the best. And this is, uh, I'm glad we're kind of ending on this. You made an excellent choice, sir, as well. Um, <laughs> Thank you. And uh, as, as usual, and as, uh, as the knight would say, you have chosen wisely. That that wasn't creepy at all. <laughs> no, it isn't. But I, I I just watched Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade with the kids. So ah, very nice, good selection. The funny part was, so again, we're gonna get Junior completely off track. Junior. <laughs> so we're watching the whole movie, and you know, it's it's always great when you when you're when you're proud of your child. You know, mm-hmm. it's always a a great moment. And so we're about halfway, two thirds of the way through the movie. And my daughter turns to me and says, Dad, I don't see how he is his father because they sound nothing alike. He's like, <laughs> ah, yes, honey. That's uh, called the Sean Connery effect. Yes. You just yes. have to suspend all disbelief. <laughs> yes. You and do. just pretend that, of course, he could be, you know, whatever. Yeah. Wait till you see the one where he's a Russian sub captain. You're going <laughs> to love that one. <laughs> You might have to wait a, a year or two before we're really ready for the for the hunt for October, but it's coming. Never has a Russian uh, sub captain sounded so English. <laughs> no, it was Scottish. Or like, I mean, I'm sorry, he, he Scottish. Might, you're right. He might as well have been walking around in a kilt. <laughs> <laughs> one ping for Shelley. One ping only, please. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah, that's a Russian accent. Totally. Yeah, right on. Right yes. on. Yeah. Even Tim Curry managed to pull up a somewhat believable Russian, like little affected a little Russian accent. Yep. Sean's just like, I'm not going to do it. Um, but anyway, so now we're going to talk about how fans are the best. Because the fact is, as much as I just thrashed on, uh, well, all fans, um, fans are the best because without fans, a lot of the great art and the, a lot of the great movies, albums, 
books, what have you, would never be made. Because right. Right. very few artists, their first project, their first painting, their first book, their first album, whatever, is so stunningly magnificent that it stands the test of time forever. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there are, definitely there are artists who they, they have a great album, a great debut album. But there's a lot of great artists who, you know, musicians who their great album is their second, third, or fourth, or whatever. Right. Without fans, they never would have made those albums because the label would have said, "Well, we didn't make any money off of that. You're done." Right. You know, right. if you if you if your greatest book is your third book, if your first book doesn't sell, or you don't have people supporting you, or willing to to buy, you know, the second book or the whatever, you don't get there. Right. Without well, Star Wars fans being as passionate as they were, yeah, I mean, would Lucas have really made episodes four, uh, uh, episodes five and six? I mean, because people weren't just going to see Star Wars once; they were going to see it multiple times and lining up for hours, yeah, just and, to get into a show. And part of it speaks to you know what we were talking about before, where I think. You know, one of the biggest things, especially with episode four, when it first came out, was just it was so visually stunning Mm -hmm. compared to anything that had been out there, you know, prior. I mean, you know, I'm I'm being very sarcastic when I say this, but, you know, the spaceships, it it, it wasn't like you could see the little string holding them from the top of the screen (laughs) sort of thing. Yeah. That that, that sense you kind of got when you watched, you know, the the sort of sci-fi movies that like Mystery Science Theater 3000 would would make fun of. Oh, dear Lord. Um, you know, but but I, I, I think, you know, where we started the, the, the show talking about the worst, I, I think what fuels that is the same source, which is the passion. You know, I yes. think I think from passion comes both the unrealistic expectations and from it also comes the the love and um, and just support that that fans pour out into uh, whether it's entertainment in music or movies, TV or or in or in uh, sports. So wait, you know, are, you, are you saying with great passion comes great responsibility? Well, now that you said it, I, sorry, I got to go copyright that one. Excuse me. <laughs> Excuse me, I got to go buy me some domains. <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually, I need to get I, me a Twitter handle. Is that too many I, characters? We we were watching Into the Spider Verse tonight. The family. Oh, great flick! And because I, I had not, I have not seen it yet. And um, best lines, uh, like I feel in that movie, is is uh, at some point I think the kid starts uttering the great responsibility line, and yes, <laughs> Peter Parker's like, "Don't finish that line." Yes. <laughs> oh, that was such a great flick. Oh, it it, it has been it has been a, a joy to watch so far. So, and I mean that kind of come that kind of brings a lot of uh, of this. What it comes down to is fan service, and that's what yeah. you know. Uh, Kevin Smith, the filmmaker, said that as soon as you are making a sequel, you've made your first thing, and now you're going to make the thing after that that connects to the first thing. You are now in the fan service business because mm-hmm. you have fans. You need yeah. to serve them, and you know there are times when the fan service is fantastic. Like going from episode four to episode five. I mean, Lucas did a fantastic job because he essentially said, this is beyond me. Yeah. I need, I need someone else to direct this so that I can do all the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And, and he brought in, he even brought in screenwriters. So he's like, here's the story. You write it. Yeah. And there's a reason why the dialogue in five and six is better than four. 
and and you had an excellent point there but he was serving the fans yeah. and the fans fed off of that i mean there's a reason why they're still making these movies is because fans have kept that alive all these years yeah with their passion with their interest i mean i i i remember gosh it must have been like high school junior high or high school I realized there was Star Wars books. Yeah. Like there was all those extended universe or whatever they call them books. I had no idea. And there's like hundreds of these books. Oh yeah. There's, there's so many of them. And I just actually just took a quick look at yeah, episode five was not written by Lucas. It was written by uh, Kasdan uh, and yeah. uh, lay, lay bracket or Lee bracket. Um, yeah. But, um, and Kasdan but, yeah. has, I think Kasdan did, he did five, he did six. I, I don't think so he had too. anything to do with the, he might not have had anything to do with the the prequel trilogies, but he was he co-wrote with uh, with J.J. Abrams episode seven. Yeah, I, I think one and two. I, I looked at one and two. That was Lucas. I didn't look at three. But um, but yeah, I, I think it goes back to um, I, I mean, I'll, I'll say that one of the things I had looked forward to um, probably less so now just because I'm turning into an old fart. But um, but no, back, back in like my twenties and thirties, I would have been all over a, a T they were talking about doing a TV series that would be solely based around, um, like Boba Fett and, and the bounty hunters. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and what that speaks to is the richness and depth to this universe, this fictional universe that Lucas created that if you're able to not only engage your fans in, in kind of the foundational story that starts all this off, but now you get them to a place after five and six where they could be as equally vested in stories about smaller characters, Mm -hmm. um, that could put even more exploration and depth into this universe. Now, do you think Um, that also leads into ties into fandom? Because, I mean, how many of these books were like, um, how many do you think were like commissioned? Like the, someone's like, "Hey, we'll give you a contract to write five Star Wars books." Or were these people who who started these projects? At least maybe they hadn't written an entire manuscript, but had an idea. And are were, you talking about the expanded universe? Yeah, and we're approaching, yeah. you know, Lucas or or Lucasfilm or whoever had the rights to that. Right. Like, I, hey, I've, I got an idea. Will you let me write this? Yeah. Those had to be fans on some level. I mean, there could have been some who were just like, hey, I think I can make some money doing this. But that, yeah. those are kind of fans, don't you think? They are. They are. And, and you know, especially with the Expanded Universe books, there there's very much this line between what is considered canon and what is not um, when it comes to, um, you know, just the, the, the carrying on of the story. And I remember after, um, I think it was in like the mid, I think it was like in the mid-90s, early to mid-90s, um, Timothy Zahn wrote... Uh, a three book trilogy um, that was that, it, you know, just fantastic stories. I mean, I was just like glued to the books, um, you know, when I read them. I think that um, might have been the book. One of the books I read. Yeah. That, t- that I, name sounds familiar. I, I forget the titles of the three. But if you if you were to look up Timothy's on, um, he, he is he is one of the guys who was like not so much commissioned, but it was like those were considered kind of like actual, you know, kind of canon based stories after. Return of the Jedi, where you had um, Grand Admiral Thrawn, you had this concept. I, I mean, what was really funky about it was it really brought in, th- for the first time, at least for me being a Star Wars fan, the concept of cloaked ships 
um, they, they, were, they were looking for this lost fleet of dreadnought ships that were basically... Now wait a minute. I, I knew that E.T. was in the Star Wars universe. All of a sudden now Klingons are? Uh, are, are Klingons... Is dreadnoughts related to Klingons? I don't remember. Oh, cloaking you're talking about. Yeah. Um, no, but you just that's ruined what, my joke, sir. Can we can we get a second take on that? Oh, oh wait, I'm Lord. looking at a at a producer that isn't here. <laughs> looking at your cat, it will accomplish nothing, my friend. <laughs> I had to I had to lock the cat out of here. She be she be trying to get up in my grill. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Probably Talking about no producer, I, I believe. <laughs> so just to set you the scene, because I I just I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to set any sort of illusions with this. You're sitting in your you're sitting in. One of your kids' rooms as like the your your area of sequestration. Yes, I'm I'm down in the subterranean level of, of our, our home in, in the basement. And yes. I've I've actually moved my office out into my garage. I had to turn my <laughs> furnace off in order to in order to record this so it wouldn't kick on in the middle of this. Ladies and gentlemen, free range idiocy, idiocy high class. Let me tell you, we are all about the quality here, folks. Garage, um, garage and basement production, let it not be said that we didn't start with uh, high aspirations out of the gate, baby. <laughs> well, you got to aim high and sometimes you hit low. Um, but, so, but, but, but going back to these books, th- that was the first yes, time please I, rem- get us back I, I remember um, books being considered part of a continuation of the story. And, um, but there were a lot of other other books that were written um and and not that those storylines weren't um not to say not valid but i think i'm not sure at what line they drew for this but there was definitely um a lot of authors who were writing expand and and they were fans i I believe that were writing these expanded universe stories that were licensed i I believe by lucasfilm um Mm -hmm. you know that they were granted the ability to use the characters and, and 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 the trademark and all that um, but whether they were considered truly, you know, an extension of the main story was was not necessarily always the case. Yeah. But but to your point, it was driven, I believe, by writers who grew up with those movies and now being, you know, being adults and, and being able to actually, you know, do this for a job. They, you know, very much had some very interesting ideas. And it, it's neat to see when you have a fan base like that, how fans um you know, take the original idea and just have these other ideas of where it can go because now you're you're growing this universe beyond what probably you know Lucas imagined it ever. You know, in, in going in a particular direction. Yeah, and I and the thing is, um, again, I think you get to that point where you you just have to acknowledge like fans are the reason this happens. If no one's buying those books, right? They ain't printing books just you know just for giggles. They're printing books to make money. Yeah. And yeah. if no one's buying them, you ain't going to get any more books. If right. no one's watching the movies, you ain't getting no more movies. Right. And obviously, since, you know, Force Awakens made all the money when it came out. I mean, it was like, we're talking like Marvel money. And that's yeah. that's kind of the new measure now when you're talking about how much money something I don't know how realistic to. of a measure that's going to be, but yeah. Well, I, I mean, that's like, that's the elite now. Yeah. That is the elite. Yeah. Like if you if you if you say, "Oh, that's going to make Marvel money." That's a whole lot of money. Yeah. Cuz I mean, Marvel, well, Disney is basically, you know, just printing money these days. Um and as soon as yeah. like Disney Plus comes out, holy crap. Yeah. Oh, then I they're going to have they just I mean, Mickey Mouse is going to be on a $20 bill. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but, but, but and and then uh, I, go, go ahead. Well, j- just real quick, um, just an interesting point, and and I don't know if this was conscious or not by the folks who did episode eight, but you remember Benicio del del Toro's character in that movie, mm-hmm. where he's essentially you know kind of a hacker type. They, they I think they called him a slicer or something like that. Um, you know that was a concept that was introduced. Um, at least the first time I had seen it in terms of the context of Star Wars was in the books. Hmm. Um, and so I, you know, again, back to what we were talking about before, seeing his character and seeing that idea of, of this concept of slicing or hacking, you know, being a hacker is nothing new in science fiction. It's not like this was a revelation they did. But I just found it kind of interesting that at this stage in the series, they're bringing characters like that in um and and you have to wonder if some of it comes from the 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 writers uh of these books who you know imagined that these sorts of characters existed at this time and 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 wrote some story you know had characters in their books um that that were like that so it was just kind of an example i think of you know potentially some of the fandom and some of the creativity that came out of that um you know lending itself to a character that that landed you know in 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 a movie yeah, and and even the directors and the, and even the people who are working on the new Star Wars movies grew up as fans. Yeah, and and uh, who was um, one of the guys? I forget what his name is. Oh my gosh, I feel like an idiot. But uh, he was he was he st- he started out. He wanted to make Star Wars movies. And they're like they're not making Star Wars movies anymore, and he ended up becoming. Uh, one of the artists who's working on concept art for episode one. Oh, and, okay. And now he is like the guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In charge of art direction. He he was like the guy who who worked on Rogue One as kind of started out, you know, kind of piecing all that together. And he's he's one of the elite guys at, at Lucasfilms. Like he's yeah. a top guy. And that's a guy who grew up as a fan of the original trilogy. And, and, and that's the passion. Yeah, playing, playing out absolutely. And and it, okay, now to translate that back and try and redeem myself so that I don't have like you know Sully and Murph from like Southie show up and 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 want to beat the crap out of me. Boston sports fans, kind of the same. Like, guess what, folks? You don't have the Patriots if Robert Kraft didn't didn't become a fan of the team first. Right. Right. That dude was a season ticket holder back when the team stunk. And then had a dream of owning the team. Yeah. And through his, you know, his business acumen and all this, he buys the team. That team was headed to St. Louis. Oh, that's right. Before he bought it. Yeah. Like, he is the the only reason that team is still in New England. Period. Yeah. That is a fan. First. Mm-hmm. Before he owned the team, before he had a financial stake in it or anything like that, he was buying tickets, he was taking his kids to the game, he was a fan. And yeah. that is a guy who is now the reason why, number one, there is a team, mm-hmm. still called the New England Patriots, and two, why over the past 20 years they are arguably the most successful sports franchise on the planet. Yep. Yeah. A um, fan. Yeah. And, Period. And, the end. I mean, yeah, yeah, and I, and 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 I go back to, um, you know, not to move away from sports, but to go back to what I was talking about with um, the band Rush. You know, Dave Grohl said it best when he was inducting them into the Hall of Fame that they 
they did it um, organically. They they built their fan base from the ground up. Um, they they did it the right way. You know, there there wasn't any hype. There wasn't any um, over marketing or anything like that. They almost didn't make it out of their second album. You know, they when they made Caress of Steel, that tour they went on was was wildly um, bad. Um, they they did not have uh, the fan base showing up and basically the the album after that um or sorry it might have been their third album i think they made fly yeah they, they did rush they did fly by night i think they did caress of steel and then they did 2112 um and 2112 was just kind of the you know th- this was the hail mary for them mm-hmm. and because they stayed what true, a hail mary <laughs> oh tell me about it i mean well and 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 it wasn't a hail mary in a commercial sense either i mean this was a hail mary of you guys want us to do shorter songs and not do these 20 minute songs. Screw it. We're doing a 20 minute song. Um, and, and it turned out to be something that resonated mm-hmm. with fans because, uh, and, 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 you know, and again, because of that, it was the fan base like you're, you know, that we've been talking about. It was the fan base that kept them going. And, and I know that's kind of an obvious statement for any musical act that you got to have a fan base, but there's something and, and I, you know, I'll admittedly say I need to maybe look at the history of some other, you know, um, some of the more classic rock bands to see if they had just a similar uh, trajectory. But, um, you know, th- there's something very organic about how Rush came to be, you know, and, and, and just their path to where they came. They, they never really got to a place of being... Um, mainstream popular really not until i mean honestly when when the documentary came out in 08 09 um they had like probably a four or five year stretch where they were i was seeing them mentioned quite a bit in in what you would consider more mainstream kind of entertainment mm-hmm. you know news because they they were just um they were out there playing these just incredible shows um even at their age and even after you know close to 40 years of playing um, I went to see him twice. Uh, I think I saw a Time Machine tour, and then there was um, Clockwork Angels, and um, and and I was just blown away, much as any fan was even back in the '70s, blown away by the musicianship. I mean, mm-hmm. the, these guys, it's almost like they knew they 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 didn't look the part. They didn't um, maybe have the mainstream kind of sound, but my gosh, did they go out there and? play a technically perfect sort of just you know set of music mm-hmm. that that just blended you know it, again it's a three-piece but they come together and they sound like this band of five that are just a tour de force yeah um but that doesn't come to be without it coming from the fans you know and 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 well even you know, even in those times when you say like the you know the third album didn't sell as as well as probably the label certainly wanted certainly as well as the the band wanted and the you know tour might not have done as well but there's still that core of fans right, right because without them i mean you don't just come out of nowhere and and your sales just take off like you have that core of fans who is still preaching the gospel of rush right to their right. friends and forcing them like no 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 listen to this yeah you know and, and, and trying to explain it to people and, and share with them. Without that core of fans, you know, you, you don't get through those dark times. You know, right. without the core of fans who, who were Patriots fans, beleaguered as they were, mm-hmm. you know, through all those hard times, 
you you can't even if even if Robert Kraft wanted to buy them, they wouldn't have even made it that far. You know, without that core right. of of dedicated fans like Red Sox fans, like yeah. good lord, God bless them. Because I mean, I'll, I'll I will freely admit, like you remember the '86 series, I don't, because mm-hmm. I was not a Red Sox fan until the early. Well, actually, until 2002, mm-hmm. 2001, because I was always a Patriots fan. And people yeah. would say, oh, you must be a Red Sox fan. No, no, I've got enough misery in my life. <laughs> and and yes. to me, that made yeah. perfect sense to say, like, I live and die with the Patriots. And mostly it's die. I don't I don't need that other thing. Like, I wish the Red Sox well, but I'm like, I can't follow another team that's just going to break my heart continuously. Like, I need right. a couple months off. Right. Yeah. <laughs> At the very yeah. least. Like, I can't go right from Patriots heartbreak into Red Sox heartbreak. It just, right. I can't do it. Maybe yeah. other people are stronger emotionally. Right. Um, but without that core of fans to keep showing up to Fenway, to keep mm-hmm. cheering the team on, even though year after year after year, it just, you know, I mean, Bill Simmons said it best where it became that thing where people were like, I might never see this. I might die without ever seeing a World Series championship. Right. You and know, that sort of thing. Well, and, and, and you want to hear a crazy story. Uh, you know, so when they were on the cusp of winning the 04 series and, mm-hmm. and, I, and I waited – I literally waited until um, they were at least, you know, one out, uh, bottom of the ninth, and it looked like they, they pretty much had it locked up. Mm-hmm. I, got, I got permission from the missus. I, I said, look, I, I need to wake the boys up so they see this. And, she's, and she, God bless her, was just like, yep, go for it. You, you just need to put them back to bed, and I did. But I woke my, uh, my almost uh, two-year-old and my one-year-old, one-year-old, mm-hmm. mind you, up, you are a brave man, sir. You at are eleven a brave o'clock man. at night, brought them downstairs, had them sit with me, as you know, they have no memory of this at all. Yeah, right? totally. But I'm I'm having them sit sit with me as the Red Sox win the World Series for the first time uh, in in eighty you know eighty two eighty six years was it eighty six yeah eighty six yep. years and because I I legitimately believed mm-hmm. this would be the only time they would see this. Yep. I never in my wildest dreams thought that they would win it again in 07, that they would win it again in 13, and they would win it again uh, last year. That's um, how I felt when the when the Patriots won after the 2001 season. Right, yeah, I absolutely. mean, even, even at, I mean, at, as and we've talked about this, you weren't there, but you were one of the ones who called me, and I'm convinced you were the one, people were calling me solely to think, like, he must have had a stroke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly calling just to check in to make sure I was still alive, but I I had a I'm, I'm lucky enough that my birthday kind of or unlucky enough, depending on on how the chips fall. But, yes, uh, yes. But I'm lucky enough that my birthday falls around the Super Bowl every year, so I had a combination Super Bowl birthday party. Yep. And in my mind, I was like, I think we can do it. Like, I think we can do. It. I really think this is it. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, man. Well, at least if they lose, you know. It'll be a good party. Yeah, yeah. And that's just where it was at. And then when they won, I was so glad because I had that to share with with the people who were there. Even though I kept, I I think I kept repeating to myself, "Is it over? Is right. it over?" Like, and I think I'm almost sure if I'd said it one more time, 
one of the people there would have given me like the Leslie Nielsen like smack across the face, like <laughs> pull yourself together from airplane kind yeah. of thing, you know. And and it was the same thing. Like I kind of went through a similar thing with you uh, when when they won in two thousand four. I woke my wife up. Yeah, and was like, "You need to. I need someone here with me. Yeah, to yeah. bear witness to this because this is history. Yeah, like we may never see this again in our lifetime because yeah. that's just what you're used to. Right, and and you that's know? that's just the way you think, and that's you know where where the passion comes into play. Um, you know, just just another kind of funny anecdote about this. Um, when the Red Sox in that '04 you know, campaign um, came back down 03 against the Yankees and took that series. Oh, good Lord. That was amazing. My, uh, and, you know, give a little shout out to, to, to my father. Uh, as a Yankee fan, everyone at his store gave him like these condolence cards. Uh, it, it was just hysterical. It was just all of this, you know, this, again, going back to the passion of, of fans of just, you know, we, we finally took down the evil empire, you know, mm-hmm. and um, this this release upon uh, my, my 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 poor father being the only, you know, Yankee fan within a 25 mile radius <laughs> of where these people uh, live was was just the uh, absorption point of all this this, you know, angst being released uh, when 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 they beat him. Yeah, because um, that because that had to I mean, that really was just kind of poetically probably the best way that their campaign to the first championship in that amount of time could have happened, you know, was, was to take down the team that had just needled us and, and had just always been this, this thorn in our side. Well, look, um, I mean, Aaron effing Boone. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I the only guy who, who has that sort of name except for Bucky effing Dent <laughs> <laughs> the previous year. Yes. And I, I remember exactly, I, I think, and that's actually the moment that that I felt like I, I solidified into even just a vague Red Sox, even a Johnny-come-lately Red Sox fan, was I was watching, I watched that final game in 03, yeah. and I was watching it after my shift working in a crappy Mexican restaurant in Virginia, and I'm like, man, I, I they might actually do this, they might get to the world... Yeah. Oh, son of a mother. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I'm like, why can't we beat those guys? And all of a sudden it was we. I'm like, oh, man, they pulled me in. And, son of a. And much like and much like the 86 series, even though this was an ALCS, I remember exactly where I was when that happened. I was I was in Florida for a work uh, for a work trip. I was sitting in a hotel room, staying up late, watching the game. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. <laughs> And and again, but that's so, that's so again, what's great this, about fans. Like right, right. here, just that, mo- just those moments where I remember, and this and that. That's why fans are the best because it also, as much as, again, I, I trashed on all fans because that's what the whole front part of the show. This is where we all get the group hug at the end. Okay, that's right. That's right. It's, it's it, come it's together, a, brothers and sisters. It's all about peace, love, and community, baby. Yeah. Um, I don't know where Leon Phelps came in. <laughs> He done snuck in. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, he didn't leave any capacier, so I might have to have a little bit more of this Russell's Reserve. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, <laughs> but it brings people together. Yeah, Cause you can, it, it does. You, you, you meet and talk with people that you might never encounter if you're not fans of the same thing. Like, right. I remember one of the greatest fan experiences of, of my 
you know, sports life. Because, again, I, I, I kind of separate real life from sports life. Like, I, I would never try to compare, like, ooh, the Patriots winning the Super Bowl to, you know, my daughter. Right, right. If, if that's your priority, maybe, you, you know, if that's how you align things, maybe you want to get some counseling. Cause yes. Because, again, that whole perspective thing might be a bit skewed. Um, <laughs> Just a little. But one of the great sports moments that I had a chance to, to, to be part of was uh, – uh, my wife got us tickets to go see the Patriots. And I'd, I'd been to see the Patriots before when I was growing up. Um, my dad mostly would get tickets to, like, exhibition games because you could get tickets to them. I mean, you could get tickets to a lot of Patriots games because they sucked. But the, right. the exhibition games were cheaper, and you weren't going to freeze your butt off. So we were like, hey, they're probably going to lose anyways, so at least we'll be warm. Um, but, you know, I only got to see the Patriots once at Gillette. Mm-hmm. Um because now you need a small mortgage to go see them, <laughs> to go see them. Well, um, you know, six championships later, we'll do that to the old wallet. So, well, know. yeah, and and but this it just so happened, and again, didn't plan this. We got the tickets beforehand. This was uh, Teddy Bruschi's first game back from when he had a stroke. Oh yeah, and yeah. Teddy Bruschi was always one of those players that I just I I, I just loved, like yeah. him and Troy Brown. Were, were two McGinnis. of my favorite guys. Uh, well, I mean, I, McGinnis was great. I just always liked Brewski because he was kind of that guy that it just always seemed like if there was a play that was going to happen, he was either making it or he was around it. Yeah, I mean, those guys always to me were like the franchise, you know, in, yeah. in, in, in a way outside of Brady. It was McGinnis, it was Brewski. Um, what the heck is his name? Um, he, he was defense, but he caught a couple touchdowns on trick plays. I can't think of his name. Oh, Vrabel. Vrabel. Those guys. Had, he had, uh, he were had found four or five touchdowns. Oh, yeah. The, those guys a, were found. He, like he had like a decent career. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and Brewski was one of those field generals, like you said. He would, yeah. Not only would he make the play, but he was one of those guys that would always get the defense adjusted. Yeah. Um, or or if, even, if, even if he didn't make the play, you could tell like he was in a position that if that guy had missed, he was going to make the play. He just always seemed to be around the ball. Right. And so I always – I just I just had a, a, an appreciation for him and yeah. his game. Yeah. And it just so happened that we were, we were at the game. It was his first game back. And it was against the Buffalo Bills. It was in Gillette. And they announced uh, the defense – and he was the last guy they announced. And people went nuts. Oh, yeah. And then first play after the kickoff, first play the Bills had on offense, Brucey comes across and he made a tackle behind the line. And I didn't think it could have gotten any louder, and it did. Oh, it yeah. was crazy. Yeah. But so we're sitting uh, we're, we're sitting next to these guys who were either in a ZZ Top like tribute band or just <laughs> – <laughs> had given up on the art of like grooming facial hair. Um, oh boy! And but yet, throughout the whole game, we're talking with these guys and high fiving and all that. And I'm like, I don't know that I would be, you know, hanging out with these guys in any other social situation. But we're all Patriots fans. Yeah. And so yeah. therefore, it's just cool, you know, like, hey, you're wearing a jersey. I'm wearing a jersey. Hey, we can talk. Yep. And it's almost in moments like that where I'm like, man, wouldn't the world be a little bit better? if there were a few more moments like that without yes. a lot of the negative stuff that we kind of talked about before, like just that part right. of, of being a fan of something that it's, pulls yeah, people together. It's experiencing something as, as a group. Um, it's, you know, and, and there, you know, 
so many of us have stories. I mean, when you were talking about, I it jogged my memory that, like, I remember um, you and I went to a Patriots preseason game um, when I was still living out there. And I, what I remember about it is um, parking, at, I think it was in Foxborough still. Like, it wasn't, I don't oh, think yeah. Gillette had not been built yet. It was just yeah. Foxborough. And uh, parking was just a mess. And was, was that I, the Honeydew Donuts? We parked at a Honeydew Donuts. Yes. Walked our that rear was the ends spot, man. That was that was actually a decent spot, man. That, that was, was a decent spot. That's we how walked. far back it was. Well, here, here, here's where it gets funny. So we walk all the way to the stadium, which you know it was probably like another 15, 20 minute you know walk. Oh, it felt like a ten mile walk. Felt like you you should have gotten free admission by that point. Like I just I sweated off ten pounds. Well, I remember when the game finished, like or or it got close to the end of the fourth quarter. We hauled out of Foxborough because we did not want to get caught in the ensuing traffic. That oh, yeah, was gonna happen. It was like because there like, was one way in and there yep. was one way out, and it was only two lanes, and they merged down to one at some point, if I remember right. And you and I somehow, I think, set some sort of track and field record that night because we were just running and gasping, and we get to the car. And oh, like Curtis Martin in his prime, baby, we were oh, stiff arming people. <laughs> I think. I think you knocked over an old lady at some point. I don't look, know. Look, look, I, I didn't George Costanza it that much, okay? <laughs> you know what? She she had some moves. I, she, she tried to juke you. I, I, it was fully defendable. Yes, yes. But, but, uh, but, but, you know, just to your point about, you know, as fans, the, the, the things we go through, the experiences we have both, you know, within the game and without the game, you know, it's just uh, those are the things that I think bring us all together, you know, the, the, the commonalities there and the, the shared experience of it all. Yeah, um, and even one, and even just even even on like with movies like you know Star Wars, mm-hmm. there's there's Star Wars conventions. There's 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 people who have clubs to build droids. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean stuff yeah. like that. I mean, uh, so a, a friend of mine actually does a a, a Star Wars podcast. Uh, scruffy looking podcasters. Scruffy podcast. I am totally blowing this right now because I didn't plan on talking about it. <laughs> Son of a mother! You're you're doing uh, a great job selling the show. <laughs> I'm 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 sorry, James. Uh, but uh, it, it, I'm pretty sure it's scruffy looking podcasters, and okay. you'll find it. I mean, yep. if you just search scruffy podcasters, I'm sure it'll pop up. Yeah. But there's there's people like that who and and that podcast has like people from, I think there's one guy from England. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, I mean, but they're from all over. Yeah. And they yeah. met at like these Star Wars celebration events and stuff like that, and it's like. It, it just brings people together and man I mean even even sometimes like the whole misery thing kind of pulled Red Sox fans together for a long time oh yeah certainly oh, yeah. Patriots fans yeah but it's just it's that you you get a chance to to have those relationships that you wouldn't normally have yeah well and and to kind of bring it and you know bring it all the way full circle from where we started you know um, a couple months back uh, when Bill Buckner had passed away I uh, I went back into YouTube and, and found, um, you know, a clip of when he came out to throw. I think it was after the 07 championship. He um, he came um, for the following season to throw out the first pitch. And it was just, you know, and, and, and even then, uh, you know, when I watched it, it just um, still kind of hit me a certain way that when he walked out onto the field and the way the fans received him, you know, yeah. and, and giving him that ovation and kind of giving him um, the proper due, 
that he was due as mm-hmm. as a very good player when he was playing um, throughout his career um, was was just you know it was just a very touching thing to see because as we talked about you know the fans had given you know him such grief over something that as we discussed was not necessarily his fault but yet you know through time and uh you know time healing all wounds i suppose um you know he comes out and and as he's walking out there you see him wipe his eyes a few times because i'm sure it was just uh, you know a great load off of his shoulders to 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 be received that way uh after after everything that had happened you know in the past and what was said and, and and all and all that and so just you know to kind of see that triumphant return you know, kind of in a way bring, you know, brings us around back to why, you know, I think as fans, you know, the, the, the positive part of being a fan, you know, appreciating someone for, for what they've contributed, appreciating them um, after the fact, finally getting some perspective on the matter and not holding it on them um, for, for the remainder of their lives, you know, is, is, you know, I'm glad he had that moment, you know, before, before he got sick and before he, he uh, passed away. Well, if I remember right, I think after the 2004 championship, he'd been asked, like, do you feel relieved now? Or And he and he still was bitter, which, I mean, granted, if there was a person who deserved to be bitter. Oh, yeah. I mean, it who, was this who, guy. Like, he had taken him? the full brunt yeah. of, of all of that. And... I I believe he was he was very salty after the 04 almost like why do you feel like I need forgiveness why do you feel like I need you to forgive me or anything like that and I, I'm glad that he had that moment oh absolutely as much as you know fans want we want redemption for we love an underdog story you know mm-hmm. right? people just in general it's one of those things like that's hardwired into us as human beings you know sort of like there's, you know, musical cues that can make you feel a certain way. You're not even sure why, but it's just hardwired into our our being. You mm-hmm. Know? Mm-hmm. It seems like it's hardwired into us that we love the underdog story. Yeah. And we love redemption stories, too. We love we love people who have just been, like, run through the ringer or, yeah. or run themselves through the ringer and right. then redeem themselves. Yeah. And I think things like that are times when, much like... Uh, Ted Williams mm-hmm. at the at the All Star Game in Fenway when he came out and he was waving his hat around like he's obviously tipping his hat to the fans because I mean they had to bring him out in a golf cart you know Ted knew that th- there this is probably the last chance he's going to have at a moment like this right and he's right. tipping his hats to his tip he's tipping his hat to the fans yeah as obviously as he can yeah and and that idea of you know what? The fans get a chance at redemption because if, again, Bill Buckner was unjustly saddled as like the scapegoat to end all scapegoats. Ted oh, Williams yeah. was one of the greatest players of all time. Like, yeah. if people thought the team sucked back when he was playing, imagine those teams without Ted Williams. <laughs> you had one of yes. the greatest hitters, if not the greatest hitter in all of baseball history on your team, and you were like, oh, yeah, well, the team isn't that good. Well, imagine if you don't have that guy. Right, yeah, how much better will the team be at that point? (laughs) I mean, do you want to go over the whole team? I mean, if there's anybody, and I mean, 
the fans unjustly gave this guy an amount of crap. Now, maybe he was prickly or whatever, but he was amazing at his job. And yeah. it gave the fans a chance at redemption. And I think that's so important because fans need a chance to be redeemed as well. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. The same as I hope people come around on you know, Star Wars movies and kind of give people their due and things like that. It, like, you just want, you want the fans to come around and go, oh, yeah, maybe we were a bunch of tools. Yeah, I, I think there's... That the was in, actually good. Yeah, I think there's a, the in-the-moment reaction, and then there's after things kind of settle a bit, there's the yeah. perspective finally taking hold, you know, that, that kind of brings a, a more measured response as opposed to the, the emotional outburst that tends to happen in, in that moment. Which is fun. Well, Which, yeah. I mean, it's, it's that <laughs> it goes back to, again, uh, yeah. you know, that, well, maybe th- this is probably another whole podcast, like the the end of Ratatouille, where, you know, the... Uh, the oh, I'll the, have to watch that. I haven't seen that. The f- you, you haven't seen Ratatouille? Are you serious? Uh, unfortunately, I am. Yeah. All right. I can't say anything else then, because I'm, I'm not going to reveal a single detail of that movie because you need to watch it. It's amazing. All right. I, All right. I will work on that as homework for the next episode. How's that? And you damn well ought to. Okay. <laughs> so we prom- I, I said that my, uh, my annoyance was podcasts that are like three hours long. Uh, we're getting dangerously close to like two hours. So we're going to start wrapping this up. You thought I was uh, joking about the 250. <laughs> As long as you don't get the three fifty, I'm okay. With that. <laughs> so uh, we're gonna wrap this up. We tried to do you know bad news, good news to end on a positive note. We're gonna try a little more positive. We're gonna finish up a few last words here uh, with things uh, with something that we like, something we want to recommend, or something that's kind of a bright spot for us. Uh, just a last kind of thing, um, and I will. I'll tell you what, I'll actually start off because uh, we, we discussed this beforehand. I know that my last thing is not nearly as like cheerful as yours. Oh, so let- <laughs> well, once I'm you say what you yours know- is, yes, I, I, I can see why you think that. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to give you a chance to kind of pull us out of the emotional dumpster after this one. All but right, it, have at it. In my defense, this is, uh, it's really good. Uh, so if you have not seen, uh, and I'm, again, I'm really late to the party on this because it's just taken us a while to get this whole thing rolling. Uh, but if you have not seen the Chernobyl miniseries on HBO, it is freaking amazing. Um, it is well-written, well-acted, well-directed, well-scored. Visuals are amazing. It is one of the most perfect things I have ever seen on television. Um, and I, 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 I think they, they, it was an excellent job. I'm a big fan of uh, Craig Mazin, who was mm-hmm. the producer, writer. Uh, I'm pretty sure he was even like doing catering on it. He, uh, the, the opening, the credits seemed like it was just Craig Mazin and this person, Craig Mazin and this person. <laughs> it's like every other screen he popped up. Nice. But it was, am- it was amazing. It was fantastic. It is not a pick-me-up. Uh, so no, no. Uh, make sure that you watch it. In a good place. Yep. Yep. <laughs> if, you're, if you're feeling a little down, I would highly recommend, you know, maybe watching Friday or a good comedy or something. Yeah. Uh, save this for a moment uh, when you're feeling pretty good uh, and, then, and then maybe have a little chaser after it. Um, <laughs> but it is excellent. It is an, it is an excellent miniseries. I, I cannot think of any way they could have done it better. Yeah, that, that that's another one I think I need to do a little homework on because I've seen the commercials. It looks fantastic. I just uh, have not 
have the time to check it out. So I think I shall do so in the interim. Sweet. And and so what is your, your last word or last thought? So the uh, the thought I have um, or, or the recommendation is uh, uh, a few weeks back, I uh, through inspiration of my wife, uh, we went to a uh, documentary um, film uh, in the town over, a uh, nice little... You know, kind of one of those old movie theaters, um, but it was called The Biggest Little Farm. Um, it's a movie about a couple, um, John and Molly Chester, um, and it's really about their eight-year kind of odyssey of um, basically building out um, a farm that, and basically out in rural California, um, starting really with land that is um, just doesn't look like it's possible to grow food, um, and through work with uh, a designer and just a host of other people. Um, building out this farm that produces just a wide variety of foods. Um, and also, you know, one of their goals was to build a farm that would be in equilibrium with um, the environment. And so mm-hmm. it also uh, kind of shows the struggles that they have with um, different wildlife, um, different pests, different, you know, just um, not even just animals. I mean, microorganisms, things that are eating away at their fruits, at their vegetables. But the ways that they adapt and they they bring equilibrium to the whole thing um, was really fascinating. Um, And uh, John Chester is, uh, I I believe he was a cinematographer or photographer of some kind um, for just wildlife. And so you you see some of that come into the movie as well. These just amazing shots of the animals and, and just the interactions they have with um, their surroundings. And, and, you know, just, it's a very, you know, just very well done movie. Um, you know, you, you watch it and you're kind of like, wow, seems like that's, that, that's something we could all do if we all had, you know, the resources and, and, and the, the right people to advise us. It seems like kind of a neat thing to run. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so if, if you're, um, you know, if, if you have a, a movie house that, that, that plays those sorts of documentaries, definitely uh, get out and see it because it's, it's just a very interesting. And, and like you said, I, I know we joke about it, but it was, you know, a very positive movie to kind of see, you know, here, here's a couple who, who, uh, you know, achieved a goal of theirs, a dream of theirs, and, and did it in a way that was uh, very much, uh, you know, in in harmony with the environment and, and with the uh, wildlife around it. Nice. And and for the record, as much as I like to be a curmudgeon and it's kind of a pain in the butt and all those things, I am a big fan of positivity. Of course we? you are. You know, and, you know I, I am an optimist at heart. You are. You just uh, every now and then need to let the dark side out. So, well... <laughs> Except for the fact that I think the human race is doomed. I mean, oh, other than Lord. that, I'm a very positive person. Oh, you you are. You are just a, a ray of light. <laughs> All right. Well, I can't think of a better way to uh, finish this off. Thank you very much, sir, for uh, sharing a little bit of time here with me. I appreciate Thank you. It. The, the maiden voyage has begun. Let us uh, see where it takes us next. Yes, and hopefully it, it won't be one of those uh, wrecks on the rocks. <laughs> yes, definitely. Only thing I want on the rocks is my whiskey. There. <laughs> so we're going to wrap this up. And, profound. And, <laughs> yeah, that's not nearly as profound as I thought it was going to be. It sounded much better inside my head. but uh, that's it, it was just fine. It was just Pretty fine. much the story of my life. Yes. It all sounded so much better inside my head and then got outside <laughs> and was like, what the crap was that? What am I saying? Anyways, thank you all for joining us. We, uh, we really appreciate you listening. If you've made it this far, you know what? Go have yourself a drink. You deserve it. Thank you. Um, and uh, join us next time. We uh, look forward to spending a little bit more time with you. 